0: Welcome to Religious Studies News. I'm your host, Christian Peterson, and today I'm here with Yu Hong Lee, Associate Professor of Art History at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and winner of the AAR Book Award in Religion and the Arts. She's here to speak to us about her book, Becoming Guanyin: Artistic Devotion of Buddhist Women in Late Imperial China, published with Columbia University Press. Uh, congratulations, Yu Hong. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hello, Christian. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about your book. It's, it's really wonderful. Um, and you cover material practices of lay Buddhist women uh, focused on their relationship with the Bodhisattva uh, Guanyin uh, in late imperial China. And for, for some listeners, uh, this, this might be a subject that they know little about. So can, can you start us off just with um, what are some of the general things that we need to know about uh, Guanyin and women's uh, Buddhist practice during this period? to begin to kind of get into your project.
1: Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this wonderful um, question. So, um, first, uh, among all the deities uh, in the Buddhist panthems, Guan Guanyin are usually translate as um, Perceiver of Sounds, also known as uh, Avalokitesvara, uh, the Buddhist of Compassion. So, possess uh, the distinctive uh, secret powers of self transformation. So, uh, in Buddhist doctrine texts such as uh, the Lotus Sutra, Guanyin uh, can transform into a wide range of forms, uh, from the celestial world uh, to the secular world, from a human being to non-human being, and from male uh, to female, uh, from adult to children, and so on. Um, by transforming uh, himself uh, into roles that uh, encompass all hierarchical and gender differences, Guanyin is a universal saver. So he can appear in the forms as the worshippers uh, wishes. However, uh, on the representational level, Guan Yin uh, was usually represented um, as a female deity in India, but was gradually indigen- indigenized as a female deity uh, in China during a span of nearly 1,000 uh, years. So when we say Guanyin's feminization uh, in China, uh, it also means that uh, some uh, indigenized uh, Guanyin manifestations uh, were created. So such as uh, white robed Guanyin, Guanyin of the South Sea, uh, fish bass Guanyin, uh, so in which Guanyin uh, is usually represented as a woman. So um, uh, I would maybe just provide a more uh, like uh, context uh, of uh, this uh, deity. Um, so um uh, was not only visualized as a, a female deity, um, but also Um, portrayed as a a female deity in various narratives, uh, appearing in miraculous dreams and testimonies and uh, um, typified as a female figure on stage, for instance. So um, during this um, late imperial China, which we roughly um, call it um, like from the Ming and Qing period from like 14th century to the um, beginning of uh, 20th century. So um, Guanyin Yin um, became the most uh, popular uh, female uh, deity. And uh, of course, um, uh, it's a really complicated issue uh, uh, talking about uh, this uh, feminization of Guan Yin uh, in the uh, Chinese uh, context. So uh, various forms uh, such as feminization or gender transformation or sexual transformation or even sex change uh, has been suggested uh, to categorize uh, Guan Yin's uh, womanly appearance.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about the the women that were um, doing practices <laughs> related to guanyin who who were the types of women that you were looking at in your study? Uh, yes, uh,
1: yeah. So um so I uh, so this is a really um, parallel phenomenon. So, uh, so when we talk about uh, when the feminization of Guanyin took place, that's also uh, during the, this time period. This uh, so-called uh, this uh, late imperial China is also understood uh, as. Um, a time uh, when many women attained advanced levels of literary and artistic accomplishment. So uh, the women uh, discussed uh, in my um, books, they're mainly uh, like educated uh, women, whether uh, the gentry women, imperial women, or courtesans. So, uh, Women's training uh, in writing, painting, embroidery, sewing, dance, and many uh, other skills enabled them uh, to express uh, devotions by creating uh, Guan icons. Uh, And then second, so that's the uh, background of uh, women's uh, general education uh, in this time period. So women's literacy was highly um, promoted. And then, Simultaneously, um, under the influence of new Confucianist discourse, women's chastity and purity was also widely promoted uh, throughout China during this time period. In other words, domestic space uh, was the central site uh, for women to practice uh, filial piety, participate in the cult of purity, and pursue religious practice, such as guanyin worship. so um, and then um, there's one more uh, factors. Uh, if we uh, think about along with a feminization of Guanyin and women's and devotional practice, is. Um, the, uh, over the course of the Ming, uh, this, from 14th century to 17th century, uh, the uh, the major transformation occurred uh, occurred in the political uh, economy. Uh, so, including the rise of booming uh, market. So, uh, the wealth, um, this markets generate support uh, an increase in literacy, which turn uh, in turn fueled a major booming in publishing and book culture. So the growth of economy also gave rise to an expansion of material practice, which came to include uh, circulations of printed painting and embroidery menus, elaborate hairpins, and down crease. So this numbers, factors and uh, process came together, create the historical condition for the material practice that I discussed in my book.
0: Yeah, and they're, they're, they're fascinating examples. Um, and uh, you, you use this phrase, uh, devotional mimesis, um, mm-hmm. as a way of understanding uh, lay women's relationship to Guan Yin through these uh, kind of material and artistic practices. Can you um, unwrap this phrase for us a little bit? How does it help understand the intersections of Buddhist piety and gendered religious practice?
1: So, yes. Uh, so the concept of uh, devotional mimesis um, helps to explain lay women's relationship uh, to uh, Guan Yin. Um, so this term brings together uh, devotion and mimesis. So it suggests that uh, devotees physical likeness to a deity uh, can facilitate her transcendence of the finite world. So I I tried uh, to find the power of imitation. So a means of practice that can be observed uh, in many uh, religious uh, traditions, uh, facilitates uh, the imitation, assuming some parts of the uh, original so I was actually uh, inspired uh, by one of my advisors, Professor Paul Cobb's uh, discussion on the uh, Dharani uh, scriptures, uh, hidden inside of an armband uh, on a skeleton um, as a way uh, to imitate a Buddhist uh, deity. So in the context of the cult of Guan Yin, so uh, what we see uh, this uh, after Guanyin um, became feminized uh, in China, so this new mode of mimetic devotion emerged. Uh, with this uh, feminization of guanyin. So the ultimate goal of uh, devotional mimesis is still through this merit-making to reach religious uh, self salvation. So um, especially in this um, Buddhist, especially in Mahayana Buddhist context, this um, generosity is understood to be one of the excellencies performed by the Buddhist on their uh, path to um, Buddhahood. So then um, both lay and monastic devotees can achieve this path. Uh, path. So unlike um, Buddhism's Euro devotional practice in which practitioners donate money to the temple, uh, repetitively chanting sutras to fulfill uh, their worldly wishes, such as having a child or lay woman found new ways to use uh, their bodies uh, to express their generosity through various ways of making and using things to gain merit. So by merging the body of the worshiped and the worshipper, women devotees are not only uh, create Resemblance of Guanyin's presence, but uh, thereby become the very agent by which to secure their own wishes. Yeah, and um, so yeah, okay. it's a it's a it's a really
0: interesting uh, uh, framing, and I think others might be able to use this uh, this this kind of f- theoretical framework as well. Um, one of the uh, case studies that you look at, uh, or a kind of sets of uh, materials, is through dance, which. Uh, is both certainly material but also ephemeral in many ways and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how uh, dance fit into women's engagement with guanyin and how did you um, how were you able to tackle the sources for understanding this performance? Uh,
1: so uh, yes yeah um, the uh, the um, dance on Chapter. Uh, it's um, it's indeed originally uh, was the first chapter in my book. Um, but when I uh, revise it, I moved it uh, to the um, the beginning. Uh, the, as the first chapter uh, of uh, this um book. So uh, I think. Um, in order to understand uh, this the dance uh, as a form of devotional practice we also need uh to understand uh the the dancers of uh guanyin dance and then the dancers usually are uh, the courtesans. um so that's actually uh it's very much of uh, this um the phenomenon uh, of uh, this gender transformation of uh Guan Yin. So, um, the Guan Yin's uh, manifestation as a criticism, uh, such as um, this um, woman of Yan Zhou, our uh, beautiful uh, women, uh, such as uh, the fish bus Guan Yin, um, are related uh, to how sexual appeal uh, was viewed uh, as the um, skillful teaching device uh, to help the laity reach um, goodness. So, um, and then Guanyin uh, Yin dance um, performed in religious, uh, so first, uh, it's not just Kirti um, perform Guanyin uh, Yin dance. So Guanyin dance actually uh, performed uh, in religious processions or, or play, uh, and then usually uh, use uh, costumes and props and body and gestures to draw visual reference uh, to Guanyin Yin iconography. However, when critics uh, perform uh, Guanyin dance, uh, creating physical likeness uh, to Guanyin iconography uh, was not really uh, important. So instead, uh, the dancer um, became uh, the Guanyin through uh, the dance. As you said, uh, this uh, the dance, although it's ephemeral, uh, but it's uh, it's definitely a, a material practice um, because all oh, the, the costume, uh, the body gesture, um, the, the music um, uh, props uh, that are all essentially a material uh, practice. But now uh, those uh, material practice uh, were really preserved, except uh, there are a few uh, texts uh, that uh, describe uh, women's uh, dance, uh, especially uh, the uh, courtesans uh, when in uh, Guanyin and um, dance. Uh, so I use uh, this uh, chapter to uh, first include uh, this, um, the discussion of criticism, uh, especially Buddhist criticism as the subaltern categories uh, in the religious practice. Because when we discuss uh, religious uh, practice, the criticisms were often excluded uh, from the uh, discussions um, but in the Chinese context, uh, the criticism uh, uh, as both, you know, basically a sexual worker and uh, and also a devoted um, Buddhist are not uh, contradictory uh, at all. Uh, so they can you know, pursue um, both uh, their profession as a courtesan and at the same time uh, as a, a Buddhist um, devotees. So uh, I think it's important to uh, first include uh, those uh, these categories. And then um, by nature, uh, by by the courtesan's uh, nature, they also help us uh, to understand uh, the, complicate uh, the images of Guanyin itself uh, because Critism is also considered as uh, one of the manifestations of, of Guan Yin. So that's the second uh, point. And then for a uh, third one uh, is uh, this uh, the, um, the Guan Yin and the dance uh, is also essentially part of uh, this uh, practice to staging uh, Guan Yin uh, as part um, of uh, the Kritan's uh, religious uh, practice. So of course, at the same time, when we uh, think about Guanyin dance, they're always audience, right? Uh, who, people who watch uh, the Guanyin dance is also part of uh, this uh, daily kind of a religious uh, practice. Um, so I don't know if I answer your question. Yeah, no, that's
0: great. Um, and, uh, you know, part of, uh, the, the book you deal with images of Guanyin, um, and one chapter you focus on, uh, certain types of painting. Uh, but in a later chapter, you look at, um, hair embroidery, uh, which I, I had not really been familiar with before, and I'm sure listeners won't, uh, either. So, um, can you, can you tell us what this process was, was all about and, um, what, what were the goals of embroidery and needlework practices for uh, these women?
1: Yeah, great. Um, so uh, in embroidery, uh, so in this chapter, I uh, kind of uh, concentrate on the hair embroidery. Uh, but in the first uh, half of this chapter, I also uh, discuss um, Buddhist embroidery uh, in general, uh, especially and the discourse associate uh, with uh, needlework, why uh, the needleworks um, um, was selected uh, as a medium uh, to create uh, devotional uh, objects. Um, but then um, the main focus uh, shift uh, to this, particularly our, our uh, peculiar um, practice, uh, using hair uh, to stitch uh, the icon of uh, Guan Yin. So a woman um, first uh, pluck out uh, their hair, um, and then um, and then uh, clean the hair. Um, and then even for people who um, have uh, exceptional skills, uh, they even split uh, one hairs into multiple strands, usually four strands, and then use a splitted hairs uh, to uh, stitch uh, icon of uh, Guanyin. yin so uh that's um and then of course um before they uh, stitch uh, use their hair uh, to stitch uh, icon um for women especially uh, for women who also have um, had uh, painting uh, skills they also need uh, to draw an underline or outline of uh, Guanyin. yin so that that's uh, like uh, um the basic, um, the process uh, of uh, making uh, the uh, hair uh, embroidery. Uh, So uh, for instance, so I try to discuss uh, every uh, stage of preparing uh, to make a hair embroidery It's part of uh, devotional practice. So for instance, um, this hair must be plucked up or put out uh, from uh, its root, um, instead of being cut uh, with scissors, which certainly uh, caused physical pain to the uh, practitioners. Um, Although uh, the precise process of extracting uh, hairs from the embroider's own head is unclear. So whether the hairs were gradually accumulated during the making of the embroidered or put out all at once before the first stitch was made is not known. So either way, uh, plucking hair means that woman devotees have to endure uh, substantial pain to accumulate sufficient uh, strength to embroider uh, uh, an image. So, Of course, um, in in my book, I discuss uh, this kind of ritualized experience uh, of uh, pain. Um, And then uh, I also try to uh, discuss how hair embroidery is considered uh, as a womanly practice versus, uh, for instance, um, blood writing uh, scriptures, uh, which is um, quite common uh, in uh, China
0: um the other really interesting case is you look at um, the role of hairpins um, mm-hmm. and you look at this um, through some some archaeological case studies of burial practices um so mm-hmm. ca- can you tell us a little bit about these examples H- how was uh, mimicking Guanyin carried out in these these cases you explore mm-hmm.
1: uh, yes yeah so um, hairpin uh, is another uh mode uh, of uh, this devotional uh, mimesis that I uh, discussed uh, earlier um so women uh, so first on uh, this uh, for people who are not uh, familiar uh, with uh, the iconography of uh, Guanyin. Yin, um, I just want to um, point out that uh, so on the um, the Guanyin uh, image uh, in the middle of um, Guanyin's um, hair, um, he or she uh, usually uh, um, decorated uh, with uh, Amit- Amitabha Buddha uh, icons in the middle uh, of um, his or her uh, hairs. Um, so in my book, I uh, discussed uh, this doctrinal uh, text. Uh, which help us to understand why uh, Guanyin um, has this uh, symbols. So, so for people who are interested in the, this book, you can uh, read uh, uh, my book. Um, but uh, so when um, uh, Guanyin um, became feminized, um, still we're in the period that both men and women uh, has long hairs, right? Um, but only women uh, use uh, this uh, Hairpins uh, to to wear similar hairpins to Guanyin's uh, as a way to partially uh, mimic uh, Guanyin's uh, image. And This also related to other uh, issues. Uh, for instance, um, in China, there is a uh, protocols about uh, the dress code. Uh, so, um, women uh, cannot uh, wear, uh, uh, you know, uh, the uh, garment completely freely. Uh, um, so, but it's interesting how this head part, our hair part, um, became more kind of a flexible, uh, like a free uh, land uh, field uh, for women uh, to have experience uh, uh, with uh, this new designs uh, of hairpins. And so, so there's a larger kind of a historical background of material practice. Um, but then we see this phenomenon, especially uh, in the tomb context. Uh, this one um, uh, woman, um, you know, uh, passed away. Uh, their body was adorned uh, with this uh, hairpins that very similar uh, to um, Guanyin's uh, hairpins. So, um, so it that means uh, the woman's devotion is measured uh, in terms of. Um, the material values um, uh, of these treasures, uh, these um, materials. So we know that women's devotional um, practice can be discussed in in various ways. For instance, uh, in my this, I just mentioned this embroidery um, chapter. I in that chapter, I, I uh, discuss this uh, different like a time and labor. Uh, Like consumed in the making uh, of the icons, so in this chapter, uh, I actually use uh, this um, the material objects, expensive uh, hair in border uh, accessories, and their own bodies as part of uh, 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 devotion. So properly present their bodies for transcendence. Um, So uh, there's are different type of uh, devotion. So the transcendence here is. Kind of uh, realized um, through uh, this uh, directly uh, connection uh, with the uh, the female uh, female bodies of the uh, deity. Um, so mimicking Guanyin's appearance by wearing hairpins, so similar to Guanyin's, signifies uh, this kind of internal transformations that uh, took place inside of woman's body.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating book, and uh, I hope listeners will will check it out. Um, before I let you go, I was hoping uh, just real quick, maybe if you could um, help us think through uh, how do you imagine other scholars in the study of religion might benefit from your work that uh, that aren't working in, in Buddhist studies or on uh, late imperial China.
1: Yeah, that's a great uh, question. So my works on. Deals generally uh, with the uh, intersection of gender and religion, so this is not a merely Chinese problem, um, but uh, one that pervades uh, various societies. So, more uh, specifically, um, most, if not all, religions deals with trans- transcendence, and yet a uh, gender uh, distinction are usually inscribed uh, within most religious uh, visions of transcendence. So my book uh, helps uh, in the Chinese context. So the relationship um, between transcendence and imminence is not simply one of oppositions. So I believe that um, although it is important uh, to not use uh, Western concept uncritically, it is equally important if not more uh, important to avoid a simplistic uh, opposition between China and the West, where uh, China signifies the non-transcendent and the West implies trans- transcendence. So uh, any scholars uh, who have studied religion in either of these uh, societies will know that there's a range way that practitioners and theorists combines um imminence and transcendence in both uh, the so-called West and China. So my work therefore starts uh, from the material and from this practice and writings. So I tease out historically specific articulations of gender, uh, transcendence and imminence through uh, material practice such as hair embroidery, uh, jewelry and dance and painting. So um, by focusing on lay women's uh, restaging and reproducing guanyin image, we go beyond uh, the dichotomy uh, between transcendence and imminence in visual representation. So um, go beyond transcendence and imminence does not mean that neither of this concept exists, but their differences is reconceptualized as uh, in the case of women, uh, who seek uh, salvations um, in various concrete uh, practice. So um, throughout this um, book, um, I have argued that, uh, you know, uh, Chinese lay women's various material practice locate a liminal space um, between this transcendence and imminence and their very bodies um, become the medium by uh, which they manifest uh, imminent transcendence so i guess that's one um thing i could think about but i also want uh, to add um second issues uh, about uh the uh subalterns um so like um Gaitria Spivak famous famously asked uh the uh, whether uh, the subaltern could speak and uh, and also to some extent, my book uh, turns uh, the question into one about how one listens and um, to what uh, one listens. Uh, so here the limits of tactual sources is crucial. So I started um, my discussion Um, with the textual sources in every chapter. So they're either operatic text, historical document, or vernacular stories, or even like an anecdote. So I want to to destabilize the text to allow us to listen to voice that were previously uh, silenced. So religion is often uh, studied uh, as something abstract and intangible. However, my work shows the importance of concrete things and practices uh, in, uh, in a religion. So in general, you know people have a lot of faith in texts, um, but when we encounter unknown objects, we don't know how to read or how to listen to it. Uh, so in this case, Uh, the muting uh, of the subaltern lies in our inability to look beyond textual sources. So that's why in this book, I try to find a way to read uh, the semantic meaning embedded in objects. So objects are also mediated um, by meaning, subjectivity, and uh, religious um, practice. But of course, um, I mean, texts are very valuable but uh, they're not enough, especially since most of the texts were produced um, by male authors. A lot of the accounts of women's religious practices are oversimplified or omitted. So my book um, helps people to understand uh, religious practice beyond religious uh, uh, institutions and doctrines. So I think, we can, uh, you know, uh, address um, these questions, uh, you know, through uh, uh, the material uh, studies. Um, I mean, that's uh, really, um, if you think about how my work (laughs) might be uh, useful uh, for other uh, people. Um, So that's what I'm thinking. Let's go beyond uh, institutional religious or doctrinal uh, uh, religious, uh, discussions.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Young, I think, I hope, uh, people will, will take up this, uh, approach more, uh, more creatively in other ways in other domains and other traditions. And, uh, thanks again for, for making time to talk about this great book and congratulations on your award.
1: Thank you again for ha- having me. Uh, it's great to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you.